All right. Good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? You know what? I'm not sad about that response. That was actually pretty good. Usually I get like, but you guys are ready, okay? Good job. I'm proud of you guys for being ready today. Okay, so my answer, I was just talking to Janelle and Chan, and mine is like pretty like what I mean. I like if I could live outside, I would live outside. I love just being outdoors, but I love like hiking and going to the beach um, and then being in my yard, which my family mocks me because I have a black thumb and I pretty much kill all of the pl potted plants that ever were. And so <laughs> it's like, it's terrible. It makes me so sad. But if I put things in the ground, they survive somehow. So I just have decided to like let mother nature do her work and I'll just put the things in there and then leave it alone <laughs> from there because otherwise I'm going to kill it if it's like anything else. Um, and actually, this week was like a week where <laughs> Taga is like going to be laughing at me because for the last actually two weeks, um, our lawn was like really looking sad. And when we first moved in, it was kind of green, uh, but you could tell that it wasn't like the right kind of green, you know what I'm talking about? Like it was probably just mostly weeds. But we just didn't really care that much because we were renovating our house. And so we were just like, it's fine. Uh, we'll get to it eventually. And so we kind of just left it, and it was fine. Well, lately, we had, like, sprinklers put in and stuff to try to, like, you know, make the grass grow, and we put some seeds and stuff in there. But lately, it just was, like, the opposite of turning more green. It was actually getting more yellow and, like, dead. And so I was like, what the heck is going on? So simultaneously at the same time, um, I had read somewhere that if you have clovers in your yard, it's good for your yard and that they will like put nutrients back into the soil. So if you have them, just leave them. Well, that was like the only thing that I kind of like noticed from when we first moved in is that we had a lot of clovers. So I thought we were on a good path. Okay. And so, but as our like lawn started dying, our dog has been coming inside with like those little sticky round balls. You guys know what I'm talking about? Little like sticker burr things. Okay. So I'm like, where is she getting these from? It's, there's got to be, like, a random patch somewhere, like, I don't know where. I, I was imagining it to, like, look like a big brown thing with brown sticky things on it. No, apparently, I walk outside, and I'm, like, walking, and I'm, like, checking out our clovers because I'm, like, how are you doing, little guys? The only thing that's alive in our yard. And I look down, and I notice that they are not clovers. They're all burr plants. And so it turns out our dog had been, like, spreading the, like, seeds of the burrs, like, all over the yard for the last year. And the whole yard, the pretty much the only thing that was alive were the burr plants. And so all their little paws were getting all cut up, and, like, the bunnies were getting, like, cut up, too. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I had to go back. Like, I just spent literally, like, every free hour that I had this week in our yard with my screwdriver pulling out all of the burr plants. I filled up two garbage bags, like huge garbage bags, just full of burrs. That's how bad this is. So if you've come to my house and you've seen burrs like all over like our tables and everything in our floor, it's that's why. <laughs> it's because like they've been on our animals, on, on me, on everything. So hopefully now it's been like a week that I've gotten most of them out. And our whole, like, yard is, like, coming back to life now. So it was, like, sometimes 
you just need like a little like near-death experience, right? <laughs> For like to see what's actually killing the life in you, right? And so in although I hated it and it was a really terrible <laughs> experience of my life, I never want to go back to that. It was also really a gift because it allowed me to see what was really happening under that lawn. Whereas when it was all green, I had no idea what was happening. I had no idea it was like sticking to the dogs. And so it was actually just a little gift for me to be able to take care of my pets and my family. And it's my responsibility to care for those people around me. And so, um, you know, this week, we've last actually last week, we started a new series called Pivot. And we're actually talking about some of the high tides and the low tides of our life and how we can pivot in those seasons. And I was just, as I was like pulling all these burrs out of my yard, I was like, Lord, there has to be a spiritual lesson in this, like, right? There's got to be something I'm learning from this, right? Because this is like the worst ever. And of course, like he's like, Natalie, actually, this is exactly what we're talking about this week. We're talking about sometimes how life at low tide looks like this. Sometimes you need for all of the water to be sucked out of your life, right? Low tide is when all the water goes out and you see what's really there. You see what's really lying underneath. And so those times of difficulty, those times that really feel like the life has been sucked out of you, like you're near death, those are the moments when you can stop and look and see what's really there in your life and what's really going on. And if there's things there that have been taking you out, that you just didn't even know about. Or maybe there's really good things there. It's also really awesome. Low tide's the best time to find out how healthy the ocean is because you can see what kind of like life is there. I love going to like little tide pools at low tide because you can see all the little creatures and it's so cute to see what kind of life has been living there. And so low tide is not always a bad thing, even though we think about difficult times in our life as like the worst, sometimes they can actually be the best times in our life. And so last week, Pastor Taka shared a quote, and I think it just kind of perfectly relates to what we're talking about today. And he said, it's by Ilya Delio. Hope I said that right. Apologize to you, Ilya, if that's not right. But it says, it takes an emergency, a break in our everyday consciousness to become aware of what was already there awaiting our response. And I think that is just so perfect for today's, um, today's discussion. And so as I was praying about like, okay, Lord, sh- show me who you want me to talk about. Um, someone in the word who really went through a low tide season. And almost like immediately, um, this name just popped into my mind. And it's actually not one. It's actually the story of two and three people who shared this really low tide season together and how each of them really navigated that. And this story is actually about Ruth and Naomi. And I know it's like, oh, here a woman up there preaching about a woman. Listen, <laughs> God told me to do it. So <laughs> I love women. It's fine. <laughs> um, okay, so Naomi um, and Ruth, actually, this whole story really started off at a very low tide moment. It was kind of a very tragic beginning because Naomi and her husband were actually, they had to leave their homeland. They were in Israel, and there was this huge famine. And so the only way for them to take care of their family was to leave. And so they had to travel to this place called Moab, which was this far distance away, very different culture, um, just very difficult thing to do. And so they moved with their family, and um, 
they got there and they had two sons. And the scripture says that shortly after she had her sons, her husband died. And so there she is all alone in this foreign land she knows nothing about. And she's a single mom for all intents and purposes. She's there with her two kids. And so she has to figure out how to raise them by herself. And so by the grace of God, she does. They're raised. They grow up. They get married. And it says that they had, they had um, ten wonderful years with their wives. And then, like, right, right after that it says, and then they both died. And it was like, what? What is this? This woman has, like, the craziest life. So she, her, she finally raises her two sons who are finally old enough now to probably take care of her because she's getting older. She's done so much for them, and they get married. And then it, it also kind of says they didn't have any children. Ten years they were married, and they didn't have any children. So here is Naomi completely without her spouse. She lost her spouse, and she lost her two sons. And she's devastated, obviously. And so all she has now are her two daughters-in-law, who by this point, I mean, if I was her daughter-in-law, I'd probably be like, love you. Um, guess I'm going to go start a new life, right? I'm going to go back to my family and try to heal and move on. Um, but both of her daughter-in-laws were weeping and begging her to be able to stay with her, to take care of her. Now, I don't know about you, but that says a lot about Naomi. For two young girls who could go back home and do their own thing to stop and be like, you know what? I love you so much, I'm going to just sabotage my own future so I can take care of you. You matter more. And she must have been really amazing. That's all I can say about Naomi. But one of them actually did stay with her, and that was Ruth. And so one of the only ways that they could actually be okay was to take each other and go back home to where Naomi was from. So... Ruth follows Naomi, and it, this is not an easy journey. So by the time that she's ready to travel back home, they have to cross over the Dead Sea, and they have to, like, scale a mountain to get back home to where they're going. And by this point, she's an, she's an older woman, and so she's having to do that. So thank God Ruth was there with her, but this was not going to be an easy journey. It was probably really expensive as well. And so... She's like, this is my only chance is hopefully I can go back home. And I think she's thinking to herself, maybe I can marry off Ruth or something like that, and she can take care of me that way. But the truth is, this, there's a little added level of difficulty to this. So, unfortunately, Israel and Moab, where they had been living all this time, had just had a really large conflict. So at this point, Israel and Moab are enemies. So for Ruth to travel back with Naomi to her homeland is like you're going into enemy territory. So not only are they scaling a mountain, crossing a sea, going into enemy territory, Ruth is now also a foreigner and a widow in a different land, right? Just like Naomi was. But isn't that the grace of God? Because he takes someone who has been through what you've been through, and he always has a way of putting them into our life. Right? Sometimes you don't realize that the exact tools that you gain just by surviving your struggle are going to be exactly what someone else needs down the road. And so right from the beginning, we see Naomi caring for Ruth, 
and Ruth caring for Naomi. We have these two beautiful examples. They have each other. That's all. They're going back into this crazy place with nothing but each other. But they have this incredible character and this incredible love for one another. The other thing that's kind of awkward about all of this with, with uh, Ruth coming into this new enemy territory for her is that she could be potentially ostracized, obviously. Um, but not only that, but Israelite women were not, um, or sorry, Moabite women were not permitted to marry into Israelite families. I'm sorry, but Israel was kind of racist. They just were. There were so many examples of where they did not allow other people from other tribes or other lands to be part of their families. And so forgive me <laughs> for saying this about them, but, you know, they, should, they need to be a little bit more welcoming, okay? So anyways, I can understand where they're coming from in some ways because they had just had a war. So in some ways, some of us have probably experienced um, different parts of the world where this country was against that country, and then for years, they didn't intermingle, right? So this is what they're facing. They're facing this difficulty. And so when she comes, she is likely going to be sticking out right away because she doesn't look like everybody else. They know right away that she's not like them. And it's going to be very easy to pick her out of a crowd. And if they wanted to, they could prevent her from marrying into their family, which would be a way of providing financially for them. And during those times, it was very different because women were not really able to provide for their families the same way that they are now. They didn't have the same freedoms. Widows did not inherit their husband's um, estates. It could only pass on to another male family member or it had to be sold off. That was the only way it could work. And so for, the, for them, this was a very precarious situation to be in. It was very uncertain. Um, and so they're both going there not knowing if they're going to be taken care of, not knowing if they're going to be ostracized, not knowing if they're going to be able to, like, find love again. Like, they're just, they're like, hopefully we go there and something works out for us. But Ruth was willing to take that risk. And she said, in Ruth 1.16 through 17, wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I also will die and be buried there near you. She did not know what was coming ahead for her. She just didn't know. There was so much uncertainty. And I think sometimes we are facing that kind of same uncertainty in our lives, and we're like, how are we going to take this next step? I don't know what I'm going to do. But anytime you're aiming to do good by God and others, you can have certainty in one thing, and that's that God is going to be with you. So when you live in obedience to Christ, regardless of what may lay ahead, you can count on your future being certain. I didn't say pain-free. I did not say flaw-free. I didn't say it's going to be laid on a map for you or full of cold, hard cash. But you can be certain that God is going to be with you, that he has a purpose for you, and that he's going to do great things in you. And Ruth is about to prove that to us. So just kind of just hang with me while we go through this story a little bit longer. So these two go through their journey back. They cross the Dead Sea. They're climbing the mountain, right, climbing the mountain range to get home. They overcome a ton. And at this point, Naomi's like pretty much a legend anyways because she has survived so many things. She's incredible. Some would call her a hero, maybe even a matriarch, even though she didn't have kids of her own. 
because she technically had no children, but even as amazing as she was, she was changed. And she didn't quite resemble her old self anymore. In her own family didn't really recognize her when she returned back. And it could be because she was um, an old age, but it, there's more to the story because it says her family said, could it really be the same Naomi who left us so long ago? And in that moment, Naomi had already started to lose herself a little bit in that tragedy. Because in 120, she says, do not call me Naomi ever again, for I'm no longer pleasant. Call me Mara instead, for I'm filled with bitterness, because the highest one has treated me bitterly. And I don't know about you, but have you ever felt so heavy with pain or gone through so many things that you've just felt like you could never be your old self again? Um, or you were just a different person? Um, I have. I'll just be honest with you. I've, I've said those exact words before where I said, I I don't, I'm not my same self anymore. When I had met, uh, I, I met up with an old friend and I was like, I just want you to know I'm not the same person I used to be. And I didn't mean that in a good way, right? I meant that in a way where I felt like I had been stripped away of all of the things that meant so much to me, okay? So I don't judge Naomi. I don't judge her at all for saying that because at times we experience pain that can feel so heavy, but if I can encourage you, whether you're going through something like that right now or whether maybe you'll go through that someday later in your life, if I can encourage you now to not allow yourself to identify yourself by your pain. Because it can be really easy to identify ourselves by what we're going through. But the thing is that all of these things are just temporary. They're not us. Our pain is not us and we're not our pain. It's a part of our life, but it doesn't define us. It doesn't define who we are. So instead of letting your struggles define you, allow them to refine you. And some of the things, yes, I'm not the same person I once used to be from some of the things that I've gone through, some of the pain. But you know what? It does strip away. It strips away some good, but it also strips away a lot of bad. And it allows you to become softer, more compassionate, it grows beautiful things in you that you don't really want them to come that way, <laughs> right? But it can make beautiful things in you. So what the enemy means for evil in your life, God can and will use for good. And I think some of us have to listen to that. God will take your pain and use it for good. He will take your pain and use it for good. And some of us just need to hear that and hold on to that for a moment because some of us are like, I don't know if he can take this and make good out of it. But I want you to know that he can. He can and he will. So in this story, we're about to see how God uses Ruth and Naomi's struggle to actually produce one of the biggest bless blessings in our history. So Ruth knew that she was now going to have to become Naomi's provider. And working the land was potentially her only option. And so she tells Naomi, let me, in Ruth 2.2, she says, let me go into the fields and pick up whatever grain is left behind the harvesters. Maybe someone will be merciful to me. And the reason she knows this is probably because even though she's Moabite and that's not in, a part of her culture, she probably knows from her mother-in-law that this is a command of the Israelites. The command is that we're always to leave, they're always to leave the edges of their field 
unpicked, unharvested, so that any of the poor and the foreigner in the land could come and take that, and they would have something to eat so that they wouldn't be ostracized, so they'd be taken care of. Now, obviously, that is a command that God gave to the Israelites, okay? But let's be real. Just because someone reads scriptures and says the right things doesn't mean that they do all the right things. (laughs) So we all know this. So she is still hoping and praying that the field that she chooses is someone who will be kind and merciful to her and will not ostracize her. So she goes out, and it just so happens that the field she was working in ended up belonging to Naomi's family member. Now, Ruth did not know which field she was going to. She did not know that this was a family member at all. And the family member's name was Boaz. So when Boaz came to check on his workers, he notices Ruth. She's sitting there. She's obviously, he didn't hire her. He doesn't know who she is. And so he asks the other people. And I'm kind of curious to know why it is he, like, really notices her. You know what I'm saying? She's this, like, young girl coming in all by herself. He didn't hire her, and he's like, who's that? Checking her out? I think so. But anyways, he asks, what's up with this girl? Who is she? Why is she there? And then they begin to tell the story. Well, she's here with her mother-in-law. She didn't have to come. She came because she loves her, and she's trying to take care of her. And so she's obviously from another land, and so here she is trying to, to harvest some wheat. And Boaz, this, this is another thing. We're finding another person who has amazing character. And this is what he says. He pulls her aside, pulls her aside and he says this. Listen to me, my daughter. Do not go out and glean in any other field. In fact, do not go outside my property at all. But stay here with the young women who work for me, following the harvesters and bundling the grain into sheaves. Watch the harvesters and see which fields they're working in. Follow along behind these servants of mine. I've warned the young men not to touch you. I'm telling you. (laughs) If you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars my young men have filled for the harvesters. And then he even goes on and pulls his workers aside and he does her another solid. And he tells them to purposely leave large stocks. In 2.11, he says, I know you've left your mother and father, your home and your country, and you've come to live in a culture that must seem strange to you. May the eternal repay you for your sacrifices and reward you richly for what you've done. It's under the wings of Israel's God, the eternal one, that you have sought shelter. And I love that he welcomes her not just into his field, but he welcomes her into the kingdom. And he's so, he's so clear about that. It's God who's taking care of you. This is not just happening, okay? This is not just so happened, okay? So Ruth goes home, and she has more than just a few things. She has, like, huge sheaves. So she comes home with sheaves of grain for her and her mother-in-law. And normally they would just get enough, right, because they're just getting the extras. But he's told them to leave, like, entire stocks for her. And so she's coming home with a ton of stuff, and she's like, whose field did you go to? Like, did they have, like, really lazy workers that, like, left, you know? And she's like, it was this guy named Boaz. And Naomi's just, like, light bulbs going on because she's like, Boaz is a family member of ours. Now, this is a really big deal for for him to be a family member, not just because it's like, oh, yeah, they could be nice to us, 
Boaz is what is called a kinsman redeemer. And so, as I mentioned before, women did not inherit the lands of their spouses. So, but a family member could purchase the land and and then also any like caretakers that came with that land would go with them and potentially the wife as well. And so there was another kinsman redeemer who was actually before him, but this one was already married. And so potentially whoever the kinsman redeemer was was going to have to take on another wife. So I don't think it just so happened that Ruth showed up to the right field at the right time, right? God set them up. This wasn't just a temporary fix to feed them for a few weeks. God was setting them all up. So Ruth worked for seven more weeks. She worked really hard. She proved herself really faithful. And apparently to Boaz, he really noticed her. He continued to notice her. And she probably could have asked Boaz for his number a little bit sooner, Honestly, she noticed her day one, but she wasn't just trying to get a handout, right? She wanted to be faithful. This girl was faithful and undistracted. So long story short, Naomi finally is like, okay, seriously, enough. Like, go make a proposition to him. Ask him if he will be the kinsman redeemer for our family. So long story short, there's a thousand more points I could make about this story. It's there's a million, actually, and I would love to talk about it forever, but we don't have time. So, long story short, Boaz was not only willing but also able to redeem both Ruth and Naomi. And he was financially stable enough to purchase and manage both his brothers and his nephews' lands and take them all in. And not only that, but when you become a kinsman redeemer, you also, any children of yours, take that other husband, the ex-husband, the dead husband's name. So for him, he was like, I'm going to actually father these children, but we're going to, like, honor my, my dead cousin. And they're going to take his name. So this takes, like, a really kind person to do this, to spend all that money, to take on new, manage, new responsibilities, to take in a new wife. That has, that's a really big ask. <laughs> and to then not even have your kids have your own last name, right? And so he did an incredible thing when he did that. But come on, he was not losing out either. He was an old man and he was unmarried. And this hot young thing comes walking up. It's a win-win. This is a win-win for everybody, okay? So, <laughs> so what? Someone, someone saying something? I don't know. Anyways, um, so the best part of this story is um, Ruth and Boaz are not, it's not just like, oh, yay, happy ending, fairy tale, everybody gets married, everybody's taken care of. It's all good. No, the awesome thing about this story is that Ruth and Boaz would then one day become the great-grandfather and grandmother of King David, who is famously known to be this man after God's own heart, one of the greatest kings in Israel's history, right? Born from a Moabite woman who's not even technically allowed to be in the temples, but then David is also the ancestor of Jesus, who is the one who saved the entire world, right? He is the reason we're here today. And so if you're wondering if God can use your life, he can, right? If he can take um, an elderly, two widowed, poor, childless women to become the matriarchs of, this, and, and this, of the Savior of the world, 
God can use you. If you're wondering if there's too many things that have gone wrong in your life, there's not. It's never too late. If you're wondering if you're too old, you're not. It's never too late. There's nothing he can't do with the selfless lives of faithful people. So many times when we think about people that we we look up to, it's people who didn't necessarily have an extraordinary talent. It's people who just didn't give up. They just didn't quit. They just stuck with it to the end, and they just didn't give up. So, um, speaking of people who have endured really difficult times, actually a few weeks ago, actually a few months ago, I met with a really incredible young lady who just started coming to voice um, this spring. Her name is Polly, and she has an amazing, amazing story. And she was telling me all about the things that God had done in her life. And honestly, my jaw kind of like hit the floor when I heard through some, some of the things she's been through. Um, but I thought, what a perfect day to share this story with you because I feel like her story is so inspiring. And one of the only things she did was just not give up. And so if we could go ahead and play that story, I would love for you guys to hear how Polly got through her season. My name is Pollyanna. I'm 29 years old. I live in Irvine, um, and I'm pretty much from the Bay Area, but I came here for college at UCI and then ended up coming back to Orange County um, just to go to PA school. I didn't grow up going to church. Uh, My family's not Christian, um, but I learned about God as I started my freshman year in college. Um, And I would say my relationship with God was more of he was there to support me and guide me and um, obviously give me strength and hope um, when I needed him the most. Um, But during my first year practicing as a PA, um, I felt so good that I was finally getting my career started after going to school for so long. Um, And I'm also very into uh, fitness and everything, so I was kind of in the track of everything's going well, my relationship's going well, but I started noticing that I developed pain um, and I didn't know where it was coming from. And so uh, during November of uh, 2020, I decided to go to the doctors and I found out after multiple visits that I was diagnosed with uh, stage three colorectal cancer. I, of course, questioned why, right, why me? And I felt like, you know, as a person who was so active, who ate healthy, and like, why would I get cancer at such a young age? I was scared, every emotion just overcame me. Um, But all I knew was, you know, for some reason, God called me to take on this path. But during this route, um, I felt like I lost everything that I loved. I wasn't able to stand for more than a minute. I wasn't able to sit for more than a couple of minutes at a time. I'm essentially bedbound uh, for nine months straight, um, not able to eat much or even spend much quality time. Not partly because it was the pandemic, but um, you know, with being a cancer patient, I was high risk, so I didn't want to. Uh, 
be around that many people. For some reason, I had a sense of hope knowing that it's going to be okay. And the only one that really picked me up was God. And I knew that even when my physical and my mental strength was gone and I didn't have any of that left, God will always pick me up spiritually and that helped me keep going. He blessed me with my family and Kenneth and Kenneth's family who all have been so supportive during the times in addition to my amazing friends. And I was overwhelmed by the love of my support system. And God just, helped me see during those moments that, you know, he has my back and he's there with me and we're going to make it through, you know, whether, whatever the outcomes are at the end of the day, I trust in him. Bless God that he brought me here today and um, that he helped me get through the whole treatment and surgery and I'm currently in remission, almost nearing my one year of being cancer free, so we get to celebrate that. Looking back now, when I look at the journey, yes, I see how much God used this story to be able to help uplift people, to be able to give people hope. And God will be with you, and He will use whatever struggle or darkness that you're going through to be able to um, further His kingdom um, and make an impact um, and bring His gospel to His people. amazing. One of the coolest things um, about her story, there's a lot more, there, there was, there's way more to her story that I wish I could share with you, but um, one of the coolest things about her story is that it's already making an impact. Um, we've been talking today about baptism happening tonight, and um, the week that she finally came into church, um, she actually brought her cousin David with, and he's here today, and he's getting baptized. He gave his life to the Lord, and, um, yeah, it's amazing. So um, God is able to use even your darkest moments to impact other people to do good in this world. And so um, just real quick, just to wrap up, I want to just kind of put together some of the last thoughts about how to navigate when times are low, when the tides are low. And the first one is just to keep hope at the forefront of your mind. When life gets sucked out of you, you have the choice to cultivate hope or get lost in your despair. It's Hoping is not the same thing as you telling God what he should do and hoping for that, right? Hope is trusting that God has something great for you, whatever it is. That's hope. The next one is trust in the goodness of God. Trust that you serve a God who sees you. There's a verse in the Old Testament that says, he collects your tears and keeps them in a bottle. Even your tears are treasured to him. He sees every single tear that is shed and he knows and he loves you immensely. That's the kind of God we serve. The third one is don't define yourself by your struggle. Sorry, I don't know why I'm crying. I think, I think I looked at David and then I started crying. <laughs> don't define yourself by your struggle, but rather let your struggle refine you. Struggle can strip away the things that just don't matter anymore. 
So let God do that in you. Let him strip away the things that weren't serving you. Last, the last two is remain faithful in your call to serve others. And stay healthy when the trials come so that when they do come, you will be healthy so that what's left underneath will be healthy and you'll be able to make it until the, until the waves come back in. So as we close, I want to just take a moment and pray over each of you. And then let's take some time to just worship and ask God what it is he wants to speak to us about today's message. So if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes. God, I thank you so much for my friends. I thank you so much that they've come here today hoping for a word from you. Some of them may be just feeling like this is their last grasp at hope. And I just pray, Lord, that today you would not disappoint, that you would comfort, that you would restore hope, that you would restore strength in those who may be feeling alone or tired or just not like themselves. They feel like they're not the same person they used to be. God, would you restore in them purpose? Would you restore in them hope for their future? Would they know that they are loved, that they are seen in every single season, in the highs and in the lows, you're there with them? And would you refine them and make them into something beautiful? So Lord, we give this to you. We give this service to you. We give this week to you in Jesus' name. You know, as we uh, get ready to dismiss here, you know, for, for some of us, I think uh, if things are going well in your life right now, you may go, okay, I, great, I'll log that, all right, and, and, and do because at some point you're going to need that. I think there are some people in the room, though, that this hit a little closer to home than you'd probably like to admit. And during times of low tide, challenging times, you know, some of the most important lessons, the deepest lessons we'll ever learn don't happen during when things are up and to the right. You know, there, there are lessons that we learn when the stock market is down and mutual funds are down way deeper than we learn if everything is up and to the right, right? So a couple questions I challenge you to ask in moments like this is one, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are, you, what, are the, what are the right questions? God, what are you trying to teach me? What do you want me to learn from this? And then the other one is, God, how do you want me to respond? How do you want me to respond? What are you trying to teach me in this? What do you want, how do you want me to respond? Because if, if we don't ask those questions, we ask all sorts of questions like, God, why did they? God, why don't they just? Why didn't this situation? Those aren't ever, ever helpful, are they? Those, those do good things in your heart? When you, when you ponder really, why did, why did they? Why didn't my employee, why my boss, why my neighbors, why didn't my kids, why don't my parents just, why don't they just... How's, how's that work out for you? Positive? Lean you closer to Jesus? Through the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, right? No, it just brings anxiety, bitterness, and frustration. So God wants to use you. One of the core values for, for our church is that we believe that God wants to speak with each person. God wants to speak through each person. God wants to speak through you. And the reality is he's going to speak through your pain far more than he'll speak through your success. Your connection with people will be through similarities of pain and how you pointed to God through that. This is why we resonate with Polly's story, right? Even if you have not gone through cancer, you probably know someone who has, and it connected your heart to her in a way that if she was like, hey, I invested into this company, I made a million dollars. You'd be like, cool, good for you. 
Like you wouldn't go, that made me see Jesus differently, right? You'd probably have to work through some jealousy issues. But, it, but the, the pain actually made you go, I want to be faithful too. There's something unique about that. So I want you to think about that. And if you're going through a season where it is low tide for you right now, one of the most critical things is that there's people around you that support you, right? Proverbs talks about that, um, that you know, rich is the man, blessed is the man, that when they fall has someone there to pick them up. But pity the man that when he falls has no one there to help them. If you came in feeling like you're in low tide season right now and you need someone to rally around you or pray with you, elbow the person next to you. All right, or if they smell weird, come forward. We'll pray with you up here, right? We'll, we'll pray with you. Just don't ever feel like you have to leave carrying something by yourself. All right, last thing, every time we gather, we take a free will offering. If you want to be a part of that, if you want to give through the church, uh, there's a bunch of ways to give. There's options on the screen, or you can go online. Just, you can figure it out. Um, but we end the same way every single time. Uh, we put our hands out like this as a sign of surrender. Uh, and our fear is that this becomes religious. We pray the same thing, that we wouldn't just attend service and check and leave, but we'd end every time we gather with surrender, saying, okay, God, we just had church. Now would you go send me out as the church to make a difference? All right, so let's pray that together. God, we just, we pray, would you send us, God? There's power in the church gathered, but there's power in the church scattered too. God, would you send us to our different missionary outposts all across Orange County and inland, God, that to make a difference in this world, to be a listening ear, to bring hope and joy wherever we go. God, would you speak with each of us this week in a real tangible way? Would you speak through each of us wherever you send us? And would you speak through us as a church to bring your message of hope wherever we go? We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.